Welcome to the Platform Comics Podcast. My name is Tucker. I want to give a quick update to the 10K Challenge. If you don't know about the 10K Challenge, it is our latest competition. You have 10,000 minutes, which is equivalent to about a week, to make a short comic. You assemble a team, you sign up, and at the start of the 10K, we will be giving you a theme and a line of dialogue that you have to use for your comic. So enrollment is now open. It's going to be open for about two weeks, and then the competition starts. So if you have a team in mind, a team can be just one person. It could be 20 people if that's how you want to make a comic. It's all good. You could be on multiple teams. It's just, you know, a great way to get people creative and working together, and it's free. So I encourage everybody to go to platformcomics.com and check it out. We just added a new sponsor, Comic Impressions. They are a printing company, and they are going to be giving a discount on printing to all the finalists. So that's pretty cool. Today, I interviewed Lonnie Nadler. He is a comic book writer. He has written for Marvel and a lot of smaller publishers with his own creator-owned work. We really dive into the differences between writing for a big publisher with their own characters versus writing your own content where you have your own characters and your own story. Obviously, there are big pros and cons to each one. Getting to write a superhero story that you've been a fan of your whole life is obviously, you know, a goal for a lot of aspiring comic book writers. But of course, that means you're limited to what the editors say that you can and can't write about things like that. But then there's also bigger paychecks with Marvel and DC. So a lot of pros and cons to both. I think that's really interesting to hear from somebody who's to someone who's been successful with both kinds of publishers. Uh, we spent a good amount of time talking about the comic book industry right now during the coronavirus because as a writer, he still has some work coming in, but some has been canceled. Some is up in the air. It's a really interesting time. Um, I had no idea if publishers are, you know, still hiring people. So we, we do talk about that. It's interesting to hear how different publishers are reacting to it differently. And we talk about what people can be doing during this time to prepare for when things do get going again. So if you could spend this time wisely, he, you know, gives his personal advice for how he's staying productive during these times. And uh, because, you know, the competition is a short comic competition, we talk about the importance of short stories. As a writer, it's important to start with something small, not because you can't write a 20-issue epic story, but because comic writing is not comic book making. Comic book making means working with artists, working with colorists, working with a letter. Writing 200 pages of comic might be easier than putting together a five-page comic because there's so much work and nuance that goes into the artwork, the layouts, the lettering, the covers, the logos, all of that stuff. We talk about how important it is for young writers to start small. And this is something I've heard from a lot of writers on this podcast. My advice would be to listen to them. They've been doing this a lot longer than most of us have. That said, here is my interview with Lonnie Nadler. There was a tweet that you tweeted, I think yesterday, and you were talking about how it took you like six to eight years before you caught a break in comics or something something along those lines. Do you think you can uh, extrapolate on that? And if you had to like, I don't know, expand that tweet into like a longer story? Totally, yeah. I actually, I was kind of like hesitant to like keep it up there because it didn't get into the nuances of what I was trying to say. So I'm, I'm glad to have the opportunity to. I've been doing a lot of podcasts and just talking to a lot of people recently and people, for some reason, keep telling me that, like, I've come out of nowhere. And, like, I understand how that's the perception. Um, but I just didn't want people to think that I, like, didn't earn this or that I haven't been doing this for a long time. So I guess the the reality of it, I was just trying to say, like, because uh, I've been getting a lot of questions about how does one break into comics? And it's not like that's just a myth that's been created 
I think, unfortunately, by Hollywood that's then spread into other industries. And the only real answer to that is, is something a, an old teacher of mine said to me, that you don't break in anywhere, you cut yourself a key, and you start opening doors. Uh, you know, metaphor aside, what he meant by that is just that you you have to do the work. You put in the work, and you have to make good work. And after a long period of doing work, if you're fortunate and you put in sort of the business side of things as well, people will start noticing and then your work speaks for itself so that when people do read it and you've built an audience, you know, that's when you get offered jobs and stuff. So for myself, I was in university uh, and I, my school had like no creative arts classes or anything. I wanted to make comics. I wanted to write. So I just started making comics with a couple of friends of mine and they were, they were terrible. Like it was, you know, I was drawing most of them myself and I'm not a particularly good artist. Uh, but I did that and I, I published them myself. I printed them out and I went to comms and gave them to people. But learning how to do it that way is what ultimately gave me the experience I needed and allowed me to, to believe that I was ready to write a series, ready to pitch it to publishers. And so I did that for six to eight years before I ever actually sent anything out to a publisher and thought it was ready to to do that. And, you know, nobody has read any of that early stuff. And there's a reason nobody's read it, because I don't want them to, because I can barely stomach it. But I think you have to, you know, you have to get all that stuff out. But people sort of want their first thing they do to be the thing that gets published. And that's just unfortunately not a reality. And another thing that I've noticed as I talk to people who are professionals in the industry is, you know, they kind of broke in eight, ten years ago and their argument is I can't even give you advice because it's a, it was a totally different industry 10 years ago, you know, yeah. even the concept of like social media didn't exist. So uh, it's, it's really hard for some people to say, here's how to do it because that pathway might not even exist. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, if the internet wasn't around in social media, like I, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now without it. You know, everyone always says it's a necessary evil and it's only evil if you, if you let it be, if you let it consume you, I guess. Yeah, a lot of my career I owe it indirectly or directly to to being on social media when I was. How does social media exactly help with your career and um, help you to, I guess, achieve the goals that you want to achieve? Sure, yeah. I have to I have to be careful what I say here because I don't want people to listen to what I'm saying and think like social media is all they need because I see a lot of like young, you know, wannabe writers and creators who are on social media all the time. And I think that's the way, you know, that's a stepping stone. But I, I guess I mean it in the sense of like, after you've done the work, after you've made some comics and, you know, have started making some friends in the industry, that's when social media can be advantageous. It helps you build a platform. And so the way that it helped me was, you know, I'd done my shitty indie books that nobody read. And then when uh, I finally had a book published, I had some friends in the industry who I'd met online and through doing some comic book journalism and stuff like that. And I sent them, uh, my first book was called The Dregs. It's published by Black Mask. And when that was coming out, some of my friends who I'd met um, were kind enough, who had much bigger presences than I did, were kind enough to tweet about the book. One of those people was uh, Matthew Rosenberg, who is, uh, I mean, I think anyone who reads comics these days knows who he is. Uh, but he was a big advocate of mine uh, and Zach's, who I wrote the book with very early on. And he just put out a tweet that was saying how good he thought the book was. And because of that, Axel Alonso, who was Marvel editors, 
Marvel's editor-in-chief at the time saw that, and he asked Matt if he could read the book. And if Matt hadn't have made that tweet, Marvel never would have been aware of us in the first place. So that's like what got us sort of in the door there. And so that's the ways that social media can, can help you, but you have to put in the work before. Yeah, very well said. I mean, I think that seems obvious, but maybe it bears repeating, you know? Yeah, I, I think it's just because like I, there's so much I see nowadays of people who want to make comics and they all they do is spend their time online saying how much they want to make comics and how much they want to work with so-and-so publishers and stuff. But you can see they're not actually doing the work that needs to be done. They just think someone's going to hand them a sort of free pass at some point. But it's never worked that way. I think that's the one consistent thing, no matter what year someone broke into comics, is you still have to do the work. Speaking about kind of your past, on, on your bio and, and a lot of other places where I read about you, it does usually say filmmaker and comic writer. How much of filmmaking versus comic writing is, I don't know, what you wanted to do? And even now, I mean, is there like one of those directions that you're trying to go in more? It's hard to answer because like, like I'd wanted to be a writer since I was like a little kid. Like I'm talking like like six, seven years old. Um, and I always knew that I... I, I remember telling my parents, I want to I want to be the guy that writes books and draws pictures because I thought it was the same person that did both when I was that age. And so I've always wanted to do writing. And then as I grew older, um, I I fell in love with cinema and I fell in love with comics. And when I was in high school, I, I was like, I didn't know which one I wanted to dedicate myself to. And then at some point I kind of just decided, well, I'm not going to pick. I'm just going to do both. And, you know, I've been lucky and that comics has sort of taken off for me uh, more so than my film stuff so far but it, it's also sort of been a weird gateway to the film world that you know I had scripts and stuff that nobody was reading until I had comics come out and then sort of all of a sudden people are interested once you prove yourself in one medium so I don't think either I'll ever do exclusively it's I always want to be writing comics and film because I you know I, I don't think I could because my love for them, both both mediums is so strong, I don't think I'd ever want to abandon one over the other. Right. And, yeah, and you've done even some like nonfiction writing and you've written for like Vice. Yeah, I have a, I have a background in journalism. So, so is that something where you just kind of want to always be doing a little bit of all of those things? Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I also I don't like paint nearly as much as I want to, but I also love painting and visual art. And I think what I realized over the last few years is that all of it matters to me because all of it is storytelling and all of the mediums provide different means of engaging with stories and different ways to tell stories and as someone who's very interested in the the formalistic aspects of storytelling uh, I think that's why so many of these different facets appeal to me from from you know whether it's movies or comics or or literature or whatever it is they offer different things and I'd like to, to play with all of them I feel like I do see a good amount of people coming from filmmaking worlds. Do you see people crossing over from other stuff like journalism or even uh, prose writing and things like that? I see. I do see a lot of it. I, I think in particular, I see a lot of film people coming over because they think it's like, you know, everyone's heard the stories of like uh, Darren Aronofsky who made his books into comics and before he made them into movies. And I think a lot of people from the film side come into it thinking it's like an easy route to get their movies made or TV shows made, uh, which I think is a bit unfortunate because and even novelists too come in that way. And a lot of the time these people come in 
And it's okay if it's your first book, but they haven't read a lot of comics and they don't know the medium, so they don't write it in a way that's suited to it. And you can tell when someone's writing a script that that should be a movie or should be something else and when they don't understand the language of comics. So I have no problem with people coming in. I, I just think that they should they should do a bit more research before thinking it's uh, so easy. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like it would be a really seamless crossover, but then, you know, once you start working with an artist and then you start to realize, you know, the artist can't draw somebody picking up a glass of water. Like, they're either holding it or they're not. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> so you're kind of confronted with that stuff pretty quickly. Yeah, I think, you know, without that early stuff I did, I wouldn't have, I didn't understand that when I started. I thought comics was like... I'd read so many comics growing up that I was like, I can do this. And then as soon as you sit down to write a script, you're like, wait, what? How does how do you do this? I don't understand how you pick what goes on the page. What if I need more space? But like, you have to learn to, to speak the language. And and when you went over to Marvel, was that a little bit of a shock in how you, I mean, I'm assuming that they have certain guidelines for how to write a script and how they like things delivered. I mean, every editor works differently there, so I can't speak. Like, the company as a whole doesn't have a specific set of guidelines, but certain editors have their own opinions on how comics should be made. And, you know, a lot of them know Marvel better than anyone, so, like, they're trying to make Marvel what a Marvel reader would want. And so myself coming into it, someone who likes slow storytelling and not always the most action, uh, it was a bit of a hard learning curve for, for me at first. And it was to the point that the first book I did there was Cable, and I wrote a first issue uh, with Zach, and our editor made us throw the whole thing out and start over again, because uh, it wasn't a Marvel book or a Cable book as they thought of it. Which was, you know, like Zach and I, I think we're, we're coming in trying to like change the mold and change uh, the way people would perceive this character. But our editor made the call, uh, which was probably the right call in the end, to it still had to be a cable book as he saw it. Uh, and so we had to rewrite it. And a lot of the things we sort of bumped up against were like panel counts and the way action scenes are written and stuff like that. I guess my lesson I learned early there is don't have two 12 panel pages in a row because they don't like that. And that's also hard for artists to do on a tighter deadline and create their own books. So it was stuff like that, like technical stuff? Yeah. It wasn't like you were you were trying to write too artsy of a story or something like that? Well, the story also they had issues with, which the story itself, I understand why they had issues with. It was, it was quite dark. And I think my editor called it a Batman story, not a cable story, which is like kind of a... like backhanded insult but i think he was right at, in the end about that and then the other side of it is yeah the yeah the technical aspects and sort of what they like and what they don't like and uh, again every editor has different opinions so like some editors didn't care if we put 12 panels on a page but other ones did so it all just sort of comes down to personal taste and and what they think superhero books should be and at the end of the day at marvel it's like you know i'm just a writer for hire it's like i don't own these characters i have no immediate stake in it so i uh and readers do expect a certain thing so it's like you just i had to learn that i was playing in someone else's sandbox and that was a bit tough at first but i was gonna ask did you ever have problems with that kind of having to you know give up ownership a little bit of the of the thing you're creating definitely yeah like i struggled with it a lot but uh it was a big problem for me because i you know i'm someone who really stands by my own opinion and, and my own vision but like I said, it was just a matter of learning like, oh, this, you know, this this is a character 
who's literally been around for longer than I've been alive. So like, who am I to come in and say, well, I'm going to change the way it's done. You know, like that's something that you have to earn. And, uh, I haven't, I hadn't earned that at that point, and I still don't think I've earned that. Uh, as much as I'd like to come in and totally redefine characters. And, and of all the stuff you've done in Marvel, is there a, a series or character you feel like you act- actually have had the most like effect on the, the like I don't know, the long-term story of that? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, like just writing X-Men, Nate Gray, I think, I think that character is, is changed forever, and I think he'll be sort of considered a villain uh, more so a villain now than he ever was before, which is really cool to, to feel like I've had some sort of impact on that. And I like to think our, our cable run was effective some sort. I know we didn't like completely redefine the character, but I hope we at least um, sort of helped people see that he was more than just like a giant guy with giant guns. And there was some emotion behind him. A giant heart. Yeah. <laughs> How's Marvel? I mean, I'm sure there are big differences that might seem obvious, but... You've worked with smaller publishers like Black, Black Mask and Vault and I think Aftershock as well. Mm-hmm. That's right. What is um, what is the big differences for you? And what, I guess the better question is, what are the pros and cons of each? Uh, I mean, the pros and cons are sort of the same thing. Uh, it's just Marvel, there's way more editorial oversight. At, you know, at a lot of the smaller publishers, there's little editorial. Sometimes there's no notes. Sometimes there's uh, a different kind of note. Um but there's a lot more freedom there. Marvel is, it's, you have someone who knows this stuff looking over your work and scrutinizing it, which can be amazing, and, but it can also lead to, to frustration. But then what, what would be the, the benefit of working at somewhere like Marvel over a small one? So like having, just having that infrastructure to back you up, like, you know, if you have editorial questions or you're not sure of a story uh, moment, you know you can email your editor and right away they'll respond and help you. They're you know they're they're there for that to make sure everything's going smoothly. Whereas at some of the other smaller publishers, because they're very small teams, sometimes you email and you don't get a response for a while. Sometimes they don't have enough time to give you notes. So it's just a matter of of the support system that's available at either. And I mean, obviously, without saying numbers or anything, is it you make more money and you can make a better living? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, if you want to get into that stuff, it's like, yeah, Marvel definitely pays more than any independent publisher. They pay consistently. They pay on time. The page rates are decent. And, you know, at the end of the day, writing for Marvel means your name is going to get out there a lot more than it would for independent books, unless you're putting out like a really successful image book. And having that is invaluable when you're a young creator because the people who buy your Marvel stuff and sort of and like it will then ideally cross over to your independent stuff. So it's all about building a following as well. And you know, you get to write characters that you've loved for since you were a kid if you if you write at uh, either Marvel or DC. So that's sort of a you know, there's no substitute for that, the the feeling that, that comes from that. Can you write simultaneously for Marvel and DC? Uh, yes, you can. Uh, the only reason you wouldn't be able to is if you're if you're signed to an exclusive contract, either Marvel or DC. But that's generally limited to a pretty uh, small number of writers at any given time. I would probably like both companies have no more than twenty exclusive writers on staff at any time. I always wonder how much of uh, how much like competitiveness or I don't know like viciousness there's between the big two, or if it's all very friendly. As far as I know, like. They're very friendly. They Marvel and DC both send each other every book that they make, you know, so they're so that they can see the talents coming from either side and what the other publisher is doing. 
So there's like a, a friendly competition going on for sure. Have you ever self-published anything? I know you talked about the early years, but I mean, since kind of making more of a name for yourself? Um, so the first book I did that I thought was like worth anything <laughs> was a book I did with Abby Howard called The Portrait of Sal Pullman. And we self-published that. Um, I did that like before the dregs even came out, but that was uh, that's still available. It's available online to purchase physically, or you can just read it for free digitally. And then uh, just this past year, I self-published a, a book with a friend of mine called Bloom. That's a, it's only like a nine or ten page short comic, but we uh, we thought we would self-publish it uh, just because uh, we wanted to bring that to smaller conventions and stuff and. Uh, we thought publishing it ourselves would just be a lot easier. And have you thought about doing like a like a whole series or anything or one of these things where people raise a bunch of money on Kickstarter or anything like that? Or are you more content to work under the, the umbrellas of a, of a publisher? Uh, it's something I've thought about, especially recently, given that, you know, who knows what is happening to the industry yeah. within the next year. Like, I think that's going to change a lot of opinions on, on this kind of stuff. So. It's something I've thought about and I've talked about with a couple of collaborators. Uh, the only reason I'm, I'm mostly hesitant to do it is because I've done Kickstarters for uh, some of my film projects and it's a lot of work. It can be really exhausting. And so just having the, the help of a publisher to, to bear that burden is, is really uh, a big relief and, and it, it takes up a lot less time so you can just focus on the actual art itself um, but i'm not like i don't think i'm above it or outside it or anything so it's definitely something that's been on the the back burner especially for stories that like i don't think fit at any publisher in particular i've, I've thought about it a lot well i mean i think it's it's interesting especially if you can develop a name for yourself and i guess i never thought about what you were saying how with marvel you're kind of using them for your own personal name to get seen more whereas I always think, well, when you're working for the big guys, you kind of are buried under the, the, the title, right? That's kind of what people are buying and you're kind of like secondary versus like an image book or, or a smaller book. The creator's a little more up front, but they're also getting seen by way more people over at Marvel. So Yeah, it's something that if you look at a lot of the big names in comics, a lot of people did that kind of thing where, you know, it's it's Brubaker, Fraction, Brian K. Vaughn, Rick Remender, all of these people... Kelly Sue DeConnick, all of them worked at Marvel for a period of, you know, somewhere between two and six years. And how many of those people are still working at those companies? Not very many because they now have the audience to support themselves just on their creator own work. So on a lot of the credits I've seen of yours, the name is Zach Thompson appears alongside, mm -hmm. um, even in like films and stuff. So what what's that relationship about? Yeah, so Zach and I met um, we met on a bus ho coming home from Emerald City Comic Con, and uh, on the bus we found out we were in the same film program at the time. Uh, and our conversation, you know, we were just talking about comics and movies that we like, and, and we had a lot of similar interests. And I think we hung out after that one other time. We went to uh, to see a, a band called Goblin who scores Dario Argento's movies. And like he was the only other person I knew who cared about that kind of thing. Um, and like right after that, we decided we wanted to like try writing something together. So mine and Zach's relationship, like almost since the very beginning, has been about uh, collaboration and creation in addition to being friends. But I think because it was it was defined by co-creating something so early that that's just 
how we know each other and it, it's how we've been able to, to make it work for so long. And now that we've sort of, uh, you know, we've, we've made a lot of books together, we're starting to do stuff separately in addition to what we're doing together. Uh, and it was just nice to have someone to sort of, uh, ride through it all with through the ups and downs. And, um, I don't think it's something everyone gets. So, so I feel fortunate to have had it and to have it. Yeah. It doesn't seem, uh, that common. How, how does that, uh, work when you're co-writing is there a specific role that you have strengths in and weaknesses and that kind of thing i mean we both have different sensibilities uh definitely but when we write like when zach and i co-write i think it's different from how a lot of people co-write and that we we both like sit in the same room together and we don't ever write anything unless we're both there together uh and we sit we have the same like google doc open so we can see everything in, in real time and uh, we, we talk about every scene and every line of dialogue and sort of nothing gets written on the page until we're both in agreement. Does one of you guys ever write something without the other guy's permission? And they're like, hey, 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 I never approved Oh, that. totally. Like, I've done that several times. And Zach's like, what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, I'm sorry, I just, like, got this in my head. But it's, I don't know, it's just, like, sometimes it's, like, you know, I would wake up and just, like, have this idea, so I'd write it down. When you're creating something, you know, you feel like it's a part of you, so you get sort of defensive but i think zach and i have been really good at making sure that it's, it's like an open free safe space where we both know criticism comes from the other person and, and we're totally fine if either of us throws out an idea and the other person's like i don't know i don't like that or i don't think that's right it's like we don't get offended by it anymore because it's just like you can't you can't afford to when you're on deadlines and stuff like that and so I guess on that note of, I guess, the process of writing, what is your process for, I, I'm, I'm guessing it's a little different for writing a, like, uh, you know, a pre-made character for Marvel versus your own original stories. But in both cases, I'm assuming you have to sort of start with a more rough outline idea and then kind of refine it. Yeah, I generally start with like a, a, a theme or an idea or a scene or something I'm interested in exploring and come up with, you know, a very short version of what that story might be. Uh, just like a simple beginning, middle, end. Uh, hopefully I can come up with those uh, out the gate. And then once I sort of have an idea of what I'm looking to explore, I start researching and building out the plot simultaneously. And I do a lot of research. So those two things sort of happen in tandem. And then once I've built out a larger outline and then I have like side notes of like things I want to put in the story, but I don't know where they go. Uh, and then just like another side note of like random ideas that I don't even know if we'll ever make it into anything. I sort of start trying to piece it all together into a, a larger outline, uh, which sometimes that's a stupidly big document coupled with all my research notes. And then once I feel like that, I read that over like time and time again. And once it's like distilled into something uh, manageable, I'll then break it down into issues, uh, which changes the story further. And then from there, I'll do like page by page breakdowns for every issue or chapter, uh, depending on what I'm working on. And and when you're doing something for like an entire arc of something, are you do do the publishers expect you to deliver that? completed all of it or are you doing it month to month um so like for marvel it's month to month because their schedules are crazy and they have so many books coming out that it's like okay you pitch you outline and then you write script one that goes to the artist they're drawing that 
you're writing script number two. Uh, so that's like a real, that's like monthly comics as everyone knows it. A lot of the uh, independent publishers are now starting to try to get ahead because they don't want schedule delays, which have plagued smaller publishers for a long time. So like, like for example, the dregs we were a bit ahead of, you know, I think Eric had drawn two issues. Eric uh, had drawn three issues by the time the second one was coming out or something. But then on something like uh, a current book I have at, at Aftershock called Undone by Blood, that's like the second issue just came out, but the whole book is is done and drawn already. Uh, and it's been scripted for like almost a year at this point. So every project is kind of different in that way and becomes its own beast. I mean, do you find it, I would assume it's a little easier to just kind of write the whole thing out at one point and not write it over like a six month period, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, my ideal working scenario is like I come up with the story, I find an artist, I develop the story further with that artist or we come up with it together or whatever. Then knowing who the artist is, I get to script it all while they're like developing it and doing, you know, character work and design work as I'm starting to to write it and then just like write the whole thing through rather than like do one issue of this and one issue of that. But if you're doing comics full time, it's few people have the luxury of just being able to work on one book at a time. On the on the comics where you get to choose the artist, how how is your relationship with artists? How do you handle that when when you're approaching a project? I am very specific about the artists that I work with. Um, I mean, like maybe I don't know what it comes from, but maybe it's like my film sensibilities and, and just the sense of like I know what this needs to look like to be effective. So like every book has to have a certain kind of artist for me. Uh, and I spend a lot of time looking for them. And so once I've found someone who I think fits and they, you know, they've come on board and stuff like that, I'm the kind of writer who, who writes a lot of description and I offer a lot of uh, page layout suggestions and stuff like that. So it's important for me to like lay that out at the gate that I'm going to do that. Um, and, you know, they can change it however they see fit. But I'd like to work closely with the artist and, and be part of the visual storytelling, not just like the plotting. So a lot of my scripts are like very tailored to artists, uh, their conversations with them uh, alongside just being, a, you know, a, a blueprint for the work. Where do you normally find artists or, or how are you gathering artists that you like and that you would like to work with? I get this question all the time, like so many young comic writers feel like they don't know where to find artists i don't know maybe i just don't think it's as hard as people find it like i'm i read comics so that's where you find artists that you like uh you know i'm not going after like like greg capullo or like that kind of thing but like i read indie books all the time and and reading that i'm like oh this person who is working on a vault book is probably someone who i can work with uh if i like their stuff and then i'm you know, I'm always looking on Instagram or Twitter. There's hashtags all the time going around with artists sharing their portfolios and stuff like that. So I think you just have to, to look. But like every person who draws comics is on Twitter or Instagram. So the last competition that we did on platform was a short comic competition. And this this new 10K challenge is also 
based around making a short comic. What, how do you feel about short comics and anthologies and things? And, and what's your, I, you did mention that you wrote a nine-pager film. You got the short film, which serves its, its own purpose. How, where do you feel like the short comic fits into the whole thing? Uh, I think it serves a very similar purpose to, to short films. And like the biggest mistake I see young writers making is they'll come out the gate being like, I wrote a 20-issue series. All 20 issues are done. And I'm like, well, have you written a short comic? And they're like, no. It's really hard for someone to understand storytelling on the level of 20 issues if they can't write a five-page story. Um, that's how you learn the fundamentals. That's how you learn, uh, I keep saying the language of comics, but like you have to learn that. And the easiest way to do that is to write shorts. Uh, if you can tell a story in five pages, then you can tell it in five issues. You can tell it in 10 issues or 20 issues, but you have to do that work of the the short story before you can tell something larger, in my opinion. So I think it's a, uh, it's invaluable. And, uh, people told me to do that when I was starting. And if I didn't, I, I would be a disaster in terms of like my structure and plotting and stuff. Um, so you touched a little bit on, you know, we're going through this crisis right now and nobody kind of knows what's going to happen with the comic industry. And, but are, are you writing now? Are there, are there jobs or are, are publishing companies still paying writers and creators to create? Or is everything on hold? Every publisher is treating it differently. Um, I have some friends who had books that are now either canceled or postponed indefinitely. Uh, and that makes me really sad to see that some publishers would treat their creators that way. Um, I fortunately have am still writing. Um, I have a book that was uh, going forward before all this and is continuing to, to go forward. And then I have a, a couple books with Zach that are... Uh, going forward still. So I'm, I'm, I also should be honest, there are some jobs that I, I lost because of this, um, which is fine. I understand that, you know, publishers need to cut back on their slate. They're not making money. So yeah, it's a weird time where I, I feel like thankful, but I'm also not drowning in work. So it's kind of a, just weird. I'm in like a, a limbo state, I guess. Kind of to end on the note that we started, if you did have to give somebody advice for I don't know, the comic book world in this day and age right now with what's going on, do you see an opportunity for young creators with everything that's that's happening now? Everybody's at home. I mean, do you think do you think there's something that the people could be taking advantage of? Yeah, I mean, look, like the, the world is going to need new stories sometime soon or sometime in a couple of years from now. And if you're stuck at home and you've always wanted to make comics, if you always want to make movies, whatever it is, like now's the time to do it. And I know it's hard to focus with everything that's going on, but I'm not saying you have to dedicate your full day to it. Even if you just spend an hour a day, use this time that you have to, to do those things. Because at some point, all these publishers are going to open up submissions again. And if you can be there and be ready with something, you're going to be ahead of a lot of people. Right on. Thanks for talking to me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me.